This is Comic Shenanigans, episode 412, a conversation with Scott Collins. Welcome to the Comic Shenanigans podcast. This is episode 412. It's our conversation with Scott Collins, and I'm your host, Adam Chapman. Uh, this is a great episode where we get a chance to chat with Scott about his upcoming work on Blue Beetle, as well as talk about uh, when he was illustrating The Flash and various other projects, uh, both at DC and Marvel. Uh, it's an enjoyable conversation. I think you're really going to dig it. Uh, just some housekeeping first. You can email me at comicshenanigans at gmail.com. Like the show on Facebook. Yes, we're eventually going to update our Facebook page. It's been a while. Uh, rate and review us on iTunes. Subscribe to us on iTunes. You can also listen to us on Stitcher. Our next even-numbered episode, episode 414, will be our conversation with Terry Cavanaugh. Uh, he's a writer. He hasn't done a lot as much recently in mainstream comics, but uh, for those who were around in the 90s, you may recall him creating the character Nightwatch, him writing a web of Spider-Man, uh, him coming up with the concept, the original nugget that became the clone saga, or the, technically the second clone saga, or the 90s clone saga, really. Uh, he also wrote uh, a lot of uh, Avengers The Cross a very uh, infamous storyline from the 90s. Uh, so that'll be our next episode. Uh, in the next month or so, we should be uh, having a conversation with Erica Larson as well, which I'm very excited about. And a few other things are in the works. And then when we get into November, we're going to have a review episode for the Doctor Strange film. And likely we'll have a review episode for the new Star Wars Rogue One movie as well. So that's all the stuff to look forward to in the next couple of months. Uh, so thanks for downloading this episode. And let's jump right into the conversation with Scott Collins. Scott, welcome to Comic Shenanigans. How are you doing this evening? I'm doing great, thank you. That's good. Uh, hard at work? <laughs> yeah, always hard at work. <laughs> uh, well, let's just jump right into it, why don't we? Um, uh, for those not in the know, what are you working on these days? Uh, my main project is the monthly book for DC, The uh, Blue Beetle, which is part of all the Rebirth uh, Restart stuff. And what was it like, like, how did that become your book? Like, uh, was it, were you looking for a new project or did they kind of come to you and say, we need someone on Blue Beetle? How did that come about? Uh, it came about, uh, more through, I had already been working with Keith on other projects at DC. Um, the latest thing I was working with him on previous was the Justice League 3001, which he asked me to come in on, uh, when his previous artist had to move on to a different project. Um, and it was while working on those that, excuse me, um, Keith mentioned uh, the Beatle might be a possibility of a new book as he was being talked to DC about that book. Um, and then over the next few weeks, uh, you know, he put my name into that for who he wanted to work with uh, once it became more of a real thing. Um, and then within a couple of days, he told me that, yeah, I was approved. And then we just talked about the project and the details and what we were going to do. So what what is it about Blue Beetle that you connect to as an artist and that is exciting you and kind of keeping you going when it comes to actually illustrating his adventures? Let's keep me connected. Um, I do like the character. Um, it was one of those characters that came about, I think, when I was still working at Marvel uh, for a minute. So I wasn't fully aware of him when he came out, but um, my sons were aware of him. Uh, from the cartoon shows and other stuff where they saw him. Um, so I think I first saw him that way. But um, I like the idea. I, I like the uh, – the uh, DC does this in general and has done this, which I always really like, is they have newer, younger characters that take on the mantle of 
older heroes and stuff. So there's all that legacy and um, all that fun stuff of carrying on the tradition. So I like there being a new Blue Beetle. Um, I really like the new design um, that Cully Hamner did. Um, it's a really fun design, something to play with. Um, and it just uh, the other thing I really actually like about Blue Beetle once I'm on the project now is how much uh, freedom and room we have uh, between Keith and I to decide what's going on with the stories because there's very little, you know, that's already been kind of uh, organized and pre-set up about Blue Beetle um, as compared to Flash or Green Lantern or other kind of stuff. Now, what's it like using a character like the new Blue Beetle and also being able to use a version of Ted Kord as well, uh, almost as like a buddy book? Well, that's a brilliant aspect of it that was uh, brought to us uh, for Keith and I as a team saying this is one of the directions, one of the pinpoints that D uh, DC really wanted to get into. Um, and we said that was great. We love the idea, um, both the buddy book and just the idea of bringing Ted back in general, um, I think is a very positive move um, and a smart move uh, for the book and for DC in general. So uh, I'm ecstatic with it. We have... Uh, as you've already seen the rebirth, but we've carried it on on some other issues now where um, we even have fun with them doing back and forth stuff while Jamie, Jaime, is in the middle of fight scenes and this and that, that they can talk and banter even while there's action and stuff going on. Um, besides other scenes we'll uh, show later on of how they deal with each other even outside of those action sequences. But the whole buddy-buddy and yet even maybe a smidge of mentor-student kind of stuff um, – it's all great fodder for stories. It's a, it's a great uh, mix. Do you like illustrating the uh, the, the the Blue Beetles? Um, I'm actually thinking of Ted Court here. His, his the bug. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, I was very excited to get that back as well. Um, and I'm trying to at least branch off of or stick to uh, the version that they drew it in Rebirth because they drew it first. <clears throat> but um, uh, yeah, that, again, that's one of those things where when you're bringing Ted back and you're bringing all those things, um, yeah, I, I think it's great to do all that stuff and play with all those toys. Now, what's now when did you first collaborate with Keith Giffen? Uh, first time I collaborated with him um, was on Annihilation, actually. Um, the Annihilation Prologue, I think it was. Um, there was someone else who started the book um, who couldn't finish it, and uh, I jumped in. And Keith and I didn't talk during that time at all, but I did work over his uh, thumbnail layouts that he used to do uh, more often. Um, and it was after that project that, I don't know, a couple years later, um, the opportunity came again for Keith and I to work at uh, something at DC. Oh, it was, it was the Larsley stuff. Oh, and, that's right, um, yeah. Then he and I both talked, and then we rem reminisced about uh, working on the Annihilation, and you know, uh, we talked about how much fun that was for us, even though we hadn't been able to actually uh, connect one-on-one uh, -on -one kind of a thing. But we both liked what each other had done on the project, so um, we were a pretty natural fit. Keith and I worked really well together. How would you describe like your partnership now and your collaboration? Like, is he? I, it sounds like he's not doing the thumbnail breakdowns or anything like that anymore. How detailed are his scripts? Or are you guys collaborating more on general plot details and then you're kind of going and illustrating it? Um, I, it's kind of a 50-50 deal um, because I am co-plotting the book with him, um, which was a really nice offer um, from Keith and from DC. Um, but how do I put it? He's doing full scripts now. So he's not doing his thumbnail breakdown plots like he used to. 
Um, although I really enjoyed those while I was working those on Larflees and on uh, Justice League 3001. Um, but he leaves a lot of room in his scripts for the artist to do stuff um, from all his years of being an artist and knowing how it is. Um, he knows he always preferred the fact that, okay, the writer tells me what he needs of the story, but he shouldn't tell me how to do it or if there's a specific visual component that needs to be done, um, there could be ideas shared, and we usually do that verbally. Uh, but he did, he said, you know, uh, like when we were doing Larflees or uh, just like 3001 stuff that was all in this future tech, he would talk about or show me that he wants someone um, on the phone or doing something, calling somebody. But he goes, but don't draw a phone. Don't draw what I'm drawing here or don't do the exact thing we're talking about. You're the artist. You turn it into what you want to. So there are scenes like that uh, that we've worked on in the past and then also with Beetle now where um, he'll tell me what he needs out of the script as far as who's involved on the page or what the general uh, necessary components are. But then he leaves it up to me to design stuff, take stuff. If I want to add more people in, I add more people in. Or if I think it's better that um, like one of his initial uh, scenes you'll see in uh, Blue Beetle number one, in a couple of weeks, um, Ted Cord, he thought of coming in to Jaime's school doing a lecture. And um, uh, he had Ted uh, initially in the script uh, just coming into like Jaime's classroom and doing a little uh, uh, professional day speech or that kind of thing, uh, career day. Um, but I said, no, no, let's go ahead and make it the auditorium of the whole uh, high school that Jaime's in. <clears throat> so yeah, it's things like that and other stuff where uh, Keith leaves it full open for me to play with how I want to. Uh, a question I like to ask all the guests who come on the show is: um, when you're at a convention or when you're signing books, what do you find is the most popular thing that you're asked to sign? Um, mostly, I guess that would be Flash, uh, followed by Avengers. Um, trying to think if there's anything else that's big in there. Those are the big ones, yeah, Flash and Avengers stuff usually. Now, if we were to go to the opposite route, what is uh, one of the most interesting things you've had to sign or the, maybe the rarest thing or the type of thing where when you looked at it, you're like, I even worked on this? Well, yeah. <laughs> there have been times where they've surprised me with books where they walked up and I said, no, no, I didn't work on that. And then they have to show me a page. of. Um, it's usually a, a weird reprint of some sort of Marvel book where they did a compendium of Avengers stuff or this or that. And they took one of my panels or a page or two of some of my stuff and then threw it in somewhere. Um, I was shocked the first couple of times I saw various Marvel trading cards where they took uh, art of mine and put it on a trading card. Um, but I've seen those a bunch now. Um, other than that, I guess it would just be some other early work that, yeah, I'd forgotten about. Now, let's talk about, I guess, uh, your early beginnings. Um, what was it about comics that first led you, I guess, first of all, into the industry, but also as a fan, like, were you growing up reading comics or did you come to them later? Oh, no, I grew up reading them. Um, I found comics when I was, like, seven or eight, I think. Um, I... Uh, <clears throat> I was running through some sort of drugstore or Walgreens kind of store when I was a kid with a bunch of my friends, and um, uh, I stopped dead in my tracks looking at the magazine rack, and I saw, I believe it was uh, two consecutive issues of The Incredible Hulk, and uh, I, I just stopped, and I sat down, and I started looking at those books. My friends ran on. We lost track of each other, didn't find each other until hours later that afternoon. Um, <laughs> after I'd walked home with those, I believe I bought them both both of those issues of the Hulk and 
I just never looked back. My friends didn't get it. They made fun of the books or whatever, but I was gone. I was, I was complete uh, devotee of, of comics after that point. Then it was just a matter of uh, finding more places to buy them and finding different books and, and then just sketching like mad, like a kid trying to uh, emulate whoever I was reading at the time. Who were your biggest influences growing up on your art style? Uh, well, the first guy that uh, I recognized, because, um, you know, when you're first as a kid looking at the books, I would have bought a whole bunch, a bunch of different styles of books, whatever else. Like the first Hulks, um, as I pieced it together after a while, I realized they were Herb Trimp or Trimpy. Um, but uh, um, the first one that I noticed that I went, oh, wait, he drew this book over here and he did that one over there. I can tell it's the same guy between the hands or the faces or whatever I noticed, um, which was John Byrne. And then, um, and that was during John Byrne's heyday. That was just when he had come on to the X-Men and, uh, leading on to his FF and Alpha Flight and everything on after there. Uh, John was a huge, huge influence on me for many, many years. All my early, early drawings would have just been poor John Byrne ripoffs. Um, <laughs> <clears throat> uh, but then after that, if we want to continue on, um, uh, I mean, the, the Frank Millers, the Walt Simonsons, uh, the Michael Goldens from that era, um, all those guys made a huge impact. And then I started researching the history more of uh, the comics that preceded my childhood. Um, Jack Kirby and Ditko and uh, Toth and all those guys um, are all a huge influence. Um, yeah, I mean, continuing on to nowadays, there's a million guys, but probably the leader of the pack for me um, was still been for the last, I don't know, five, ten years or so was uh, Mike Mignola really just love the simplicity and the beauty and the uniqueness of his, his work. Okay. Um, now when, how did you first break in, into the industry? How did that kind of come about? And, uh, what was it like kind of going through that process? Um, it was a long process and it had its own, you know, ups and downs of going to it. Ultimately what I tried to do some stuff from where I was, uh, in the Midwest, I was, uh, raised in, uh, uh, Wisconsin, Stevens Point, Wisconsin. So I was a long, long way from the publishers, which seemed like a far-off uh, dream many times that I was never going to make. But um, around the time of college, when I tried my local college, which really didn't seem to work for me, um, I decided to enroll in the Kubert School. Um, so I went to the Kubert School in 1989, um, went to it for two years, and then that was just at the time when um, <clears throat> uh, Valiant Comics was starting up. Um, they had just uh, released an issue or two of Magnus, I think, and they were about to release Solar, and they were at their very beginnings as far as their mainstream uh, comic book stuff. Anyway, um, other friends of mine who had gone to the Kubert School had already had their connections. I forget what they had, but they had connections to Valiant, so they started getting hired there as letterers and colorists and different stuff like that. And um, they encouraged me to bring in my samples um, to get hired there as well. And I got hired there. <laughs> I got hired there for only about a month. <laughs> um, I was there during the creation of EXO and a couple other books. Um, and I was to be a new penciler like uh, Dave Lapham, I think was the other guy, the, the big guy at the time. Anyway, um, but within a month or so, we quickly figured out that <laughs> I just, my style was not going to work with actually what Jim Shooter wanted. Um, so uh, they kindly let me go, but at the same time, again, with these ups and downs of breaking the industry, um, both Bob Layton and Jim Shearer at the time uh, set me up with interviews after that for jobs. Oh, um, nice. 
yeah, they were really uh, cool on that aspect, although I was devastated to be hired and then fired within a month. Um, they were nice about that. Uh, Jim got me my first published work at DC. It was for an Impact Comics uh, one-shot annual, something or other. And then um, uh, Bob got me an interview with John Romita Sr. to be a Romita Raider, part of the art correction staff in Marvel Comics, um, as a daily job to go into the offices and work that way. And I did that uh, one impact job, and then I uh, met with John Romita Sr., who is, in fact, yes, he is one of the nicest guys in the entire universe, um, uh, and extremely talented, more talented. I, I, every time I look at his stuff, I learn something new. Anyway, um, interviewed real short with John. He said, he looked at my samples, he said, yeah, okay, great, but you probably won't last long because you'll probably start getting work. And I said, well, I need whatever I can get, so please, I need a job. Um, and I worked there for about six months, seven months, something like that. And then I started getting uh, little bits of drips, drabs, little stories and uh, whatnot from Marvel at the time. And then it eventually snowballed from there. But there were still plenty of uh, times over the years where it went up and down. And I would have you know three jobs in one month and then no jobs for six months. Now, what was your, I guess, first kind of ongoing gig? Um, I guess that would uh, be Freaks for uh, Malibu Comics. Now, what was it like working for Malibu? I mean, it's a interesting legacy, in, in the, or in some some people would call it almost more of a footnote, but it's definitely an interesting legacy in the industry. What was it like working for Malibu during that period? It was great. Um, for a while it lasted, um, <laughs> they, they had a really good page rate. They paid me a little bit more, actually, than what Marvel had paid me at the time. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Um, they were incredibly free as far as, you know, I didn't feel restricted at all about the way to draw the characters or anything like that. You know, be besides the fact that the characters that I was working on were fairly new and not that well developed anyway. But um, there were certain times, even at that time at Marvel, and this was uh, 93, 94, 95, um, there were some restrictive styles going on, and I wasn't that well trained yet in all the arts of storytelling and whatnot and <clears throat> basic drawing and stuff so that I was making mistakes. Well, to cover those mistakes and for editors to hire you, they would kind of push you towards that whole Jim Lee Liefeld thing at the time. So early work of mine at Marvel uh, around that 92 time or whatever, well, you would see a lot of that prop up into my work and that was to get the next job. Um, but with Malibu, it was very freeing. They didn't restrict me at all as far as style or type or anything else. They just... Uh, were very enthusiastic and um, uh, let me do basically what I wanted to do uh, for most of it. The only problem was is that I came in a little bit late, technically, I guess, on Malibu, and that um, my Malibu gig on Freaks and the I did a short miniseries after that for them. Um, but total, I think that work lasted less than a year before they were sold and gone. Wow. Now, if we flash forward a few years, you're working on uh, Legion of Superheroes for a bit of a sustained run. What was it like working on those characters? And had you been fans of those characters before jumping on the book, or was that kind of learning and process? No, I'd been fans of uh, Legion of Superheroes from when I was a kid and stuff. I wasn't uh, caught up on the current state at that time. Um, this would be 98 or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, that would have been my second regular monthly. I'd had a couple other... Odd jobs at uh, DC at the time. 
Now, what but, was it? Um, what was it like to go from you know the the spot filling books or the you know the the occasional miniseries to really getting to kind of flex your muscles muscles on an ongoing basis? Did you have to kind of retrain yourself at all in terms of speed or like? I, I would imagine that's a very interesting process to you know get yourself used to a monthly schedule. Um, actually, no. I was already pretty much a monthly guy without any issue with that. Um, I had pretty much been trained that way from the Hubert school time um, mm. and even earlier. Um, I was very well understanding of this is what a comic book is. You get this done in these four weeks of time or less if you can and you move on from there and um, you know missing deadlines or having late books and that stuff back in that day was a unforgivable sin. Um, <clears throat> you could lose jobs or be you know practically blackballed from the industry really um, unless you were a phenomenon like a Michael Golden or somebody like that. He's some he might have missed some deadlines and still get more work. But for the rest of us regular working grunts, if you missed deadlines, you were done. Um so I was already a regular deadline guy. Uh but the nice thing about getting on the monthly books, um starting with Freaks and then uh even more so with uh Legion and then after that I just love getting into that frame of mind and working with it because um and Keith has mentioned this even already on Blue Beetle and other stuff we've worked on with Larflees and stuff in the past, is that it takes me a couple months to really feel like I'm getting my groove on with whatever character I'm working with or characters um, and get a feel for what I really, what my take on the book is, that kind of thing. So, um, and the same thing for Legion, I'm sure, where um, I'm sure my first couple issues were pretty awkward. And then I know uh, by the end of it, uh, about that year's time that I spent there, um, I was feeling really good about that book. In fact, um, that was one of the things that got me the other jobs after that was that uh, Carlin and other editors that I was working with at the time specifically noticed that um, even though I was told about three months or so leading to the end of my time on Legion that you know Legion was changing and I wasn't going to have that job in three months or whatever it was, um, I just kept pouring away as hard as I could, though. Um, and they all commented that the last issues I did on Legion were some of my best issues. And they were um, remarking on my professional professionality that way, saying, hey, this is really good. This shows we can really trust this guy, and he's not a flake who will get mad if all of a sudden something of the business changes and that certain job won't happen. We need you know, somebody we can trust to move here, move here, do this or do this, but not freak out when all of a sudden the job changes on them. So um, I very much love the monthly job of getting really in with something, I, you know, um, as you'll – well, I'm sure we'll talk about the Flash stuff, too. By the time I'm working on that kind of stuff, you know, when you get years into it, you really just begin to, I don't know, feel the book in a different way. Well, let's talk about the Flash. Like, How did that job come about, and what were your expectations kind of going in um, on this new, you know, new ongoing assignment for yourself? That was another weird, uh, strange affair, as, as they most are with comic books. Um uh, I forget how much I'd worked with Joey Cavalieri before that. So Joey called me up and said, do you want to do this fill another flash? And I said, yeah, great. And um, even though it usually takes me months to ramp up on a character, I did the one fill-in, and the fill-in did come pretty easy, uh, easier than some other fill-ins had come in the past. Anyway, about a month after that, Joey called me up and said, hey, um, you did such a great job on that one issue. We're changing things up on the flash. We're going to get a new writer and this and that. Do you want to have – do you want to do the book? And after skipping around the room and, you know, crying a little bit, I said, yes, of course. Um, 
But the trick about the story was that, um, let's see, I'm trying to remember who first was on, I think Scott McCloud was going to be the writer. And mm-hmm. then, hmm. yeah, and then, uh, then for some reason he backed out. Scott McCloud was supposed to be the writer when I first signed up. But before anything had really been exchanged, I didn't get to talk to Scott about it or anything else. Then he dropped out. I think it was something about his outline of the story had been rejected or changed or something like that. And then, um, as the story goes on, then Jerry Ordway was supposed to be the writer. Oh, wow. Um, And then I was excited about that. Um, But then quickly, within a week or two, uh, thankfully I had other assignments I was working on and none of this was crucial yet. But... Um, then he dropped out and at that point it became almost funny where then the editors called me up going well do you know any writers (laughs) (laughs) well that's funny yeah and I had just been working with Jeff Johns on Stars and Stripe on a bunch of filling issues for that book and Jeff and I got along really really well and um before that, Jeff and I were working on Stars and Stripe. We got along great. And then uh, Jeff and I were actually putting a proposal together for Hawkman, which did not come to pass. <clears throat> but uh, that's when I said, hey, why not Jeff Johns? Because in the talks with Jeff Johns, um, even before anything was mentioned about us working together on the Flash book, he did mention that Flash was one of his favorite characters. When we were talking about different characters we'd like to work on, he definitely mentioned Flash. And how much he liked the character and, and the book and the whole thing. Um, so then I mentioned Jeff. So I'm actually the one <laughs> <laughs> who got him that job, technically. Um, and then it was that weird setup, too, where then they had him do the Wonderland story, um, which was like a six-issue arc or something like that. And that was basically his task uh, to get the job. Um, but then within the first two scripts or whatever it was um, – they knew that they wanted him to do the book, and then um, and then he and I started working on stuff. And uh, at the time, I was living in uh, Berkeley, California, and um, actually in Oakland. Um, and he flew up from LA where he was, and we chatted for a weekend. And he showed me a map he had drawn already of Keystone. And oh wow! He started telling me all the plans he was working on, and this and that, and. Uh, all the Captain Cold stuff he wanted to do and how he wanted to make the city a personality just like Gotham or Metropolis or anything else. It was great. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. No, Jeff is um, Jeff is an amazing collaborator. Um, he's truly one of the best guys I've ever worked with. What um, What were some of your, your kind of your favorite moments from your collaboration with Jeff on The Flash? Favorite moments? Um, or something you thought came along really well, or maybe an idea you kind of worked on together that, you know, that you really contributed a lot towards that you thought really worked or seemed to resonate well with readers, like any kind of highlights that, that you remember of that experience that you thought was, you know, pretty cool. Right. Um, one of my favorite things of working on, uh, the flash series with Jeff, uh, was definitely Gorilla Grodd. Hmm. Um, I felt like I could really bring something to him that hadn't been brought in before. Um, I knew Jeff was going to be focused on um, Captain Cold. And, um, I mean, almost from the beginning, too, he had the plans for Zoom. 
and that kind of stuff that was in there. So um, more of that was in his hands. And then when we started working on stuff and deciding who we're going to do this issue or that issue and some new characters and stuff. So I knew he was going to do a great job with Zoom. I knew he was going to do a great job with Captain Cold and all the things he wanted to do. <clears throat> but I knew I could do a really cool Gorilla Garage um, that was more, in my mind, very King Kongish. Hmm. I wanted to do a monster. I've always loved monsters. <clears throat> Harkening back to uh, the Hulk or my first books that I really loved when I was a kid. So that's where uh, we pushed for that stuff. And then the funny part of the story is just that uh, we had to convince DC. Uh, the editor had to get like approval for us to do that because apparently there had been some sort of edict or uh, some loose rule anyway or something like that that um, they didn't do, want to do any silly gorillas. Hmm. Uh, well, your gorilla, how, was, your gorilla was anything but silly. Right, which was the whole thing that I wanted to tell him and Jeff told him too that <clears throat> no, that's not what we're going to do at all. But I guess in just like two years previous, they had done their JLA ape or something like that, yeah. uh, where everybody got turned into gorillas. And yeah, it was silly and that kind of stuff. And I guess I think Grodd was involved in that. Anyway, they would have no connection to our Grodd at all. Uh, and Jeff and I completely agreed um, when we were talking about it. I told him what I wanted to do, and he mentioned some more things and how his attitude was going to be and that's how that first issue came out was, um, we just wanted him to be this completely vicious animal. Um, and I think it really worked. I, I'd still, some of my favorite stuff of our run were those issues of, uh, doing grad stuff, uh, either in Keystone or even when we took it back to Gorilla City. Well, I would say that definitely, like, I think your grad stories are probably my favorite grad stories. And I think a lot of that lends to what you mentioned that there was a very visceral quality to it. Like it was, it was intense stuff. Yeah, and it was just one of those things where I was. I also had some happy accidents too, like um, that whole imagery that I used uh, for his mental attacks. That it was always his his jaws and his fangs and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. um, I just thought that really gave a strong bestial quality to him that um, was kind of always there before, but um, I felt like it was a little something that I added to the mythos anyway. Um, and it, again, it plays well for me because I am a fan of monsters. I love King Kong. I love Godzilla, Hulk, or, you know, Monster from the um, Black Lagoon, all that stuff. Now, I actually had a, a listener uh, submit a question when he heard we were going to be talking to you um, saying, uh, you know, he said basically that he loved your work in The Flash. And did you have a favorite moment in the series or anything you would have changed or done differently? The only thing that I look at back now that uh, Jeff and I have both talked about that uh, we would have done differently was um, there was a top issue uh, that we had done right near the end of our run, right before the whole Zoom storyline um, became uh, the big thing that it did for issue up to two, issue 200. But um, the top issue we did just didn't come off right. Um, I was behind on the deadline. Uh, I forget what had happened with that. I was usually ahead, um, but something had gone on, or I some I don't know if that was the Thing miniseries I had done. Somewhere in there, something threw me off of my timing, and um, I couldn't fully pencil the issue. I almost did breakdowns for the issue, um, but that 
didn't help like flesh it out. Cause sometimes I do a lot of work as I'm doing the penciling job where there's a lot of, you know, dotting the I's and crossing the T's and, Oh wait, if I push this over here, this will all fit a little bit better. Or if I think of this background element throughout the whole visual of it, it'll help bring it together um, and make things work or make it stronger or something like that. And um, I didn't have time for that. And actually Jeff was doing something too, because he didn't have time for it. When we finished the issue, we're like, eh, <laughs> that's not one of our best. Well, I mean, you immediately went into one of, I think people would say one of your best arcs together, which was the initial zoom arc. Yeah. Um, and that was, uh, um, I, I don't know if it was just a little bit of a rebuttal for us for the, how we felt about the top one, or if it was just that I think Jeff was feeling even that much stronger, you know, from the get go with him, um, we had un- introduced Hunter's element almost at the beginning of the run, um, as that background police character, uh, for Wally during that time. So, um, Jeff knew exactly what he wanted to do with that whole exact, the storyline from beginning to finish the whole thing. <clears throat> there were no questions or, or anything like that. It was, it was all set in stone, but it was a beautiful thing to be a part of, uh, I think I helped with a couple scenes or bits and stuff here and there, but, um, but like the snapping of the fingers or, um, different stuff like that, where he'd have the sonic boom from his snap of his fingers. That was all Jeff and it was great stuff. What, uh, how many, did you go through a lot of designs for what you wanted this version of zoom to look like, or was it pretty simple? We did a few designs. He asked, he said, you know, go crazy. Show me a couple, uh, you know, very different type of designs of something you might do for that. Um, but we really didn't do that many, and we quickly realized that, no, no, we pretty much want to stay with uh, almost the exact same reverse flash zoom, you know, that had been there before. Um, then just with the little tweaks that I did, um, he liked the, um, the different eyepieces um, and um, the earpieces that I did in there were um, Jeff thought they were cool because he thought they looked more like horns than the wings um, on the sides of the head, that kind of thing. But the biggest thing um, was something that I wasn't even conscious of. Um, this is one of those stories I tell at conventions and things where, you know, you just never know when you're going to happen upon something that <laughs> that makes you look good. Um, <clears throat> but when I drew him, um, I don't think I even did it on the, uh, the design ones, but when I got to the pages... Uh, Jeff called me up when he got the first page with Zoom on it, and he started calling me a you know brilliant and genius, and I can't believe you did that, and <clears throat> I can't believe no one's ever done it before, all that kind of stuff. And I said, "What are you talking about?" He goes, "You you changed the symbol, you reversed the symbol, so it's a reverse flash. It's the opposite way." <laughs> and, and honestly, I didn't know. I thought it had been that way. <laughs> I either not paid enough attention to the reference material or whatever was going on, but I just assumed that since he was reverse flash, that it had already been done that way. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, and it hadn't. So, you know, that's one of those where uh, <laughs> Jeff gave me this credit of doing something so smart, and I just fell into it. That's funny. Well, I guess you bring up a good point. You kind of, if everything else was supposed to be the opposite, you'd kind of think it already would have been done, right? Yeah, um, and looking back, it's one of those things where it must have been in the back of my mind or something like that, because I do remember noticing at one point in the old Infantino uh, stories that I would look back through different stuff, just to check out what was going on and make sure I was as informed as I could be. Um, I remember looking through those going, I wonder if there were different times when they had to catch it with the colors going, no way, wait, you colored him the wrong one. 
because the <laughs> costumes were exactly the same at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, there was nothing to tell them apart except for, I guess, maybe the facial uh, uh, expression or something like that. But um, back in those days, the costumes were exactly alike. I don't even think they may not have even put black in the chest symbol around the bolt or something like that. I forget. But anyway, I just thought, oh, I'm sure there are times when they had to check it with the colors going, oh, wait, is that Barry? No, that's Thawne. Oh, wait, we got it wrong. And fix it. And at least with my version, they'd have at least one more clue as to saying, no, no, this is the other guy. Interesting. What uh, what led you to leave the book? Um, <clears throat> it sounds a little bit silly in hindsight. Um, I still think it was a good decision, but um, I wasn't bored. But I was starting to get to that point where I was feeling like maybe Jeff and I had done all we could do. Mm. Um, you were comfortable. I was, yeah, I was a bit comfortable. Um, and there was also a piece of me where, although I really enjoyed The Flash and I really loved working with Jeff, um, there was also a piece of me that wanted to try other things. Um, I had been uh, bigger fans of other books um, all around that time. And it was kind of that where I wanted to keep spreading my wings and keep doing stuff. Um, and again, although I'm hugely thankful for the time that I've been uh, able to spend with Jeff Johns working with him on projects and hoping that I will do so again, uh, part of my spreading my wings of working on stuff was also to get to a point where, um, as Jeff full well knew all along, that I wanted to write and draw stuff as well, um, which Jeff did. Actually, he was very instrumental in helping me at D.C., uh, get my footing in so that um, I could write and draw stuff, which I did for a while, and hopefully I'll get a chance to do again. Uh, what, what was it like working on uh, Avengers with Jeff? Well, that was, again, one of those funny stories, um, because while we were working on Flash, he was telling me what was going on with him starting some Avengers work and some Marvel work and this and that. And he'd run some scripts by me and some ideas of how he was doing this or this Captain America or that or whatever. And, um, he wasn't nearly as versed in Marvel characters and lore as much as I had been. Um, so he would check with me on certain bits and we'd talk it over and things like that. Anyway, then he told me about this Hulk story and she Hulk story that he was going to do which was the one that I wound up working on. But at the time, we had no idea. There was no plans for me to do it. Um, <clears throat> initially, when I left The Flash, um, and we knew this mm, at least a couple of months, I think, in advance, um, Jeff and I, again, like before Flash, we were putting proposals together for DC to try this character, that character. Um, I think we tried like five different characters with quick proposals saying, hey, we'd love to do this, or hey, we'd love to do that one. Oddly enough, every one of them were turned down. Wow. Uh, so then um, I was feeling a bit frustrated with that. So uh, I called up an editor I knew at Marvel um, and said, hey, I'm not under contract. I'm not going to be on The Flash in the next month or so, whatever. I'm interested in possibly coming over to Marvel, whatever. Are you guys interested? And... Um, uh, Tom Brevoort was the editor that I talked to. And he said, yeah, absolutely. Hang on. Let me go talk to the guys. Let me see what we can figure out. And then they just came back with a bunch of different offers of b- different books to work on. Um, but ultimately it was, uh, I think Casada was the one who had said, no, no, put Scott on the Avengers. And I went, oh, okay. That's, you know, <laughs> that's not a bad place to go. Um, 
And uh, then it turned around. Even at that point, I had no idea. But then Tom turned around and said, okay, you're going to do this story. And I went, no, you're crazy. I can't believe it after all this time and months of hearing about it that I was going to do that last Jeff Johns Avenger story with the She-Hulk and with Hawkeye and <laughs> all that stuff in there. Because I was, I was actually mad at Jeff at the time while he was drawing. I was like, oh, man, you got this really good story going, and I'm not going to get to do this thing. Dang it. Oh, you got my favorite characters in there with Hawkeye and all that different stuff. And then it was just so weird kind of karmic weird thing happening that um, then I turned around and had the story. Which then, you know, Jeff and I thought was pretty cool that we got to work together one more time, even though we thought we weren't going to get to work together. Now, not long afterwards, you got to work on a Avengers Earth's Mightiest Heroes miniseries with, I believe, Casey, right? Right. Um, and that's actually, uh, for my Marvel work, when I say that people walk up with Avengers or uh, Flash stuff, the thing that usually crops up for Avengers stuff isn't even that Jeff Johns uh, She-Hulk story. Um, it's the Earth's Mightiest Heroes uh, miniseries. Why do you think that is? I mean, I have my own ideas why, but why do you think that is? Um, I think the time frame of that story being so classic um, gets a lot of interest from fans. I know I was interested in when um, Tom mentioned it to me of what the idea of the miniseries was and the time frame and all that year one, year two kind of stuff. Um that had me sold as soon as uh, they told me that part of it. Um, so I think that's a major factor. And then uh, for me, artistically, um, I had one of the best times on that book um, in the style I was using at the time, just as far as my drawing. And then with that subject matter, and then even more uh, with the colorists uh, that I got at the time, it was Maury Hollowell started the miniseries, and then Will Katana uh, finished it off, but staying kind of within the uh, uh, the framework that Maury had built um, with the colors. But both Maury and for Will, they did such a fantastic job coloring me on that book. It was um, uh, it worked together a whole lot better. We meshed into one like artistic unit really well for that miniseries. Um, so I think that was the the major piece of it. Um, the story was good, and, and working with Joe and all that was really cool. Um, but for me, artistically, it was it was a whole setup. It, the the package just fell together great, kind of like Flash did. Which of the uh, the kind of the classic core Avengers was your favorite to illustrate in that miniseries? Um, well, kind of Hulk. <laughs> <laughs> um, out of that, that was the that was a big thing for me. Was that first issue where I got Hulk, and the rest of them I don't think he appeared much. But um, I had such a good time with him on that first issue. Um, that he was being such trouble for the group, and um, he's just a big, overbearing monster guy. Um, I just had a great time with him. But uh, I guess the next one probably would have been Thor, although um, I really had a good time with all the different versions of Iron Man, including the original or the golden version that I had there, the, <laughs> the big tank-looking one, um, and Captain America. I mean, that was the thing. is that That was such a great group of characters at that time, those core mythical group of Avengers characters, Ant-Man, Wasp, all that stuff. Um, I loved all that stuff. So it was, it was candy land for me to work with all those characters. Now going from one extreme to the other, what was it like? So you worked on that mini series with, uh, with Casey and then you move on to uh, Marvel team up with Kirkman. What was it like working on a very different type of book with a lot of different rotating characters? Um, that was fun too. Um, 
And that was, uh, I had a really good time with Robert on that book. Yeah, very different flavor um, and very different time. And actually the color team on that book was pretty good too. Uh, it was a little bit different um, and a lot more flashy uh, for what they wanted a Marvel team up. But um, but we had a good time on the book. And I liked actually, uh, Robert was kind of a breath of fresh air at that time too, which I kind of liked. Um, his whole take on doing stories and stuff was very much not to do what had been going on before. I mean, <clears throat> he'd be handing me scripts and issues of book, and I'm, I'm looking at it going, wait, what? <laughs> I, we're going to draw this? Are you nuts? This is crazy. Um, but, you know, Robert's got that flair for his own voice and his own way of doing things, and um, had a great time doing that. Again, that was one of those jobs that ended too soon as well. Um, in fact, yeah, it was a monthly job, but then by issue six or eight, I think, I was told that the book was going to be canceled. And here's one of those funny stories again. So I was told around then, so I said, okay, well then, if it was going to be canceled by, I think, issue 10 or maybe 12, they told me at the time, I said, okay, to my editor, which I was under contract, and I said, just find me something else. I'll, I'll need something whenever this is done. And he said, okay. And about the time that I finished, I think it was issue 10 of Team Up, um, and Robert knew all this going into it, that this was happening. Um, <clears throat> then the editor came to me and said, hey, we've got this Thor miniseries, and you've always talked about Thor as being one of your favorites of Marvel. Um, that was in the talks, actually, before Avengers. And I said, yeah, yeah, I'm totally into it. He goes, okay, well, the only thing is, we have to do it right now. So you'd finish issue 10, and if Marvel Team-Up's going to end with issue 12, you'd be leaving early but you'd have to do it now to get the store thing going. And I said, well, I, you know, I'm sure Robert will understand. And, um, I, you know, I appreciate the situation, um, and everybody being cool with it. So yeah, I'd have to jump on the Thor thing. Uh, and then poor Robert, he kept turning around and I don't know if you guys, uh, know that part of it, but he, I think eventually talked them into almost two years worth of Marvel team up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I kept going. Yeah. So it kept going, even though I, as far as I knew, it was going to be canceled because, you know, then Robert kept coming back to me going, oh, I got him to issue 13. Oh, I got him to issue 15. I'm like, well, Robert, I can't come back. I'm not part of the thing anymore. I, you know, I wish I was. I know you're having a great time with it. And I'd love to have a great time with you. But, I'm, you know, I had done Thor and then I forget what I did right after that. But uh, but anyway, we yeah, we had tons of fun on uh, Marvel Team-Up. And what was it like working on Blood Oath since you mentioned the, the Thor miniseries? Well, that was uh, more in line with um, working on Earth's Mightiest Heroes kind of thing. Is uh, It was classic Thor and um, with all the other Thor stuff that had been going on. And actually, at that point, I think Thor was dead um, in the current state of the Marvel Universe. Um, we got to do all this you know, great classic stuff. I had all the classic Odin stuff and the Warriors 3. And um, Oming did a great job. Oming likes to write all that mythical uh, Norse stuff. So he had a great time with all that. I mean, I think I had a, um, <laughs> I had a drinking uh, contest between Volstag and um, <laughs> a giant uh, eagle. <laughs> <laughs> so it was loaded with great stuff like that. Um, plus, I had a really big, uh, cool fight with uh, Thor and Hercules too, where I just gave it everything I had um, with those guys, just practically having sonic booms every time they punched each other. <laughs> but. Uh, um, uh, a lot of fun, but in a, a very classic way, kind of fun. No, not long after that, you were you worked on the as we mentioned before the Annihilation prologue. 
that was a big book for what would eventually become Marvel's kind of cosmic universe. And you were kind of there at the beginning of that kind of renaissance. What was it like just working on that book? And how did it not parlay into other cosmic books for you at that time? I don't know why actually it didn't parlay into other cosmic books because everybody seemed really happy with it. Um, including Keith, um, my editor, um, the different people. I mean, they did have me do some stuff all around then. So it was like, they were almost keeping me in the family for a little bit to see if something else was going to happen. Um, and I forget what I want, what I want moving on to. I think beyond <coughs> beyond came not long after. Yeah, I guess it would have been beyond. Um, so what was it? Sorry. Um, so moving on to beyond then, what was it like working with Dwayne McDuffie? Dwayne was good. Uh, Dwayne was a really, uh, fun, solid guy. Um, and I wasn't there at the ground floor of putting together the beyond stuff, but, um, it was fairly early on with the plans so that, um, uh, again, with my own qualities of wanting to spread my wings and stuff that, you know, if you ask me about how to do a certain book or do this and that, if you give me a couple of days, I'll give you a whole bunch of answers <laughs> about how to do something, um, or suggestions of what to do anyway. And, uh, Dwayne was very accommodating that way. Um, he had a short list of characters that he already had involved, uh, but asked me if I wanted any others involved. And then um, once we had covered the bases on most of that, Dwayne would uh, allow me to make other suggestions for the story. Like um, we had all the, as I think Dwayne even put it, B list kind of B or C list characters, uh, Medusa and Wasp and a bunch of those different characters in the story. But we didn't have that uh, Spider-Man uh, in the story yet. And that was one of my suggestions was, um, I said, but we don't have that main big character that's going to bring readers in. And, uh, Dwayne said, yeah, but I want all these smaller characters cause I can do more stuff with them and not have to check with anybody or get approval for stuff. I can just do some really cool stuff with Medusa or whatever I want to, um, and, and have more fun that way. But he agreed on the idea that, yeah, it'd be nice. It would help the miniseries. It'd be really cool if we could throw in a big splashy character, uh, to get attention. And that's when I said, well, let's not make it really Spider-Man. Make it part of your fake-up. You've got this whole story with the uh, fake Beyonder for a while. Then let's have this be a fake-out, too, and bring in Spider-Man, but it'll turn into be someone else uh, in disguise. Um, so Dwayne was really accommodating and cool and fun to work with uh, in that way. Um, almost very old-school in that fashion, where um, he, he would allow um, uh, all sorts of uh, craziness of me, like... Uh, Dragon Man, I decided, <laughs> I, I suggested putting Dragon Man in the story just to put that kind of X-Vector character in there. Um, and he said he said yes to practically everything I ever said, so he was really nice. Wow. Uh, I've always wanted to ask uh, what it was like working on Omega Flight. I'm a Canadian, I really enjoyed that miniseries. What was it like kind of <laughs> illustrating that and using those, you know, very eclectic characters? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> Omega Flight's one of those... Uh, happy, sad stories. Um, it was brought to me and said, this is going to be a new monthly series. It's going to be called the mega flight. It'll have some alpha flight characters, but then some Americans and it'll be this kind of change up. Uh, there were certain aspects that I wasn't overly thrilled with, uh, some of the American characters and stuff, at least at first. Um, but the idea that it was a monthly book was a nice place for me to, uh, be at Marvel. I was tired of jumping from miniseries to miniseries again. And also, um, 
I myself am a huge uh, Alpha Flight fan, um, <clears throat> mostly back from John Byrne's time on the book. And uh, that was one of my other big questions uh, that they um, answered nicely and correctly for me was that I said, okay, well, we can start with all these other characters, but as this is being a monthly book, and I talked it over with the writer too, Oming, who we had worked with with on uh, um, Blood Oath, um, I said, it's cool, but I want to, by the time we get a year's worth or so into this book, I said, I want all, or at least most of all, of uh, the original Alpha Flight members to come back. I want them all to be back there in some shape or form. I don't know if we were going to get Guardian or had any direct plans with all that stuff, but um, but they said yes. So then when I'm working on the miniseries, I don't think I'd finished issue one and maybe even issue two. Um, issue one hadn't come out yet, um, but uh, then all of a sudden the news came out on the wire or whatever that I saw in the press that said that Omega Flight had been downgraded to a miniseries. Um, and, uh, I shouted at a few people on the phone and never really got any decent answers as to why that had happened. Um, in fact, it, it, it's one of those odd things is that, I mean, maybe the annihilation has probably broken it by this point, but at that time, um, that Omega flight stuff, because it was part of the civil war crossover, uh, huge event, um, Omega flight had been, I think my best selling book at Marvel. Oh, wow. So it was just bizarre that I had my best-selling book, and yet at the same time they yanked it away. Um, so that was just the weird part of it was that there were a whole bunch of extra hopes and plans and things that I wanted to do with Omega Flight or Alpha Flight through Omega Flight um, that I never got to do. That's a shame. Yeah, yeah, it's still one of those things that uh, um, it, it's it's sad. It, you know, I had much higher hopes. Now, from that, I guess you, you ended up bouncing back towards DC and worked on the Countdown miniseries. What was the vibe of working on that book at the time? <laughs> uh, the vibe was um, things had not gone how they were planned. Uh, I don't know exactly what that meant, but uh, I think the schedule was one of the main things that was off, and it was late. Um, so... Uh, there had been an editor on there. I don't know who it was, but then Carlin had taken it over and I had worked with Carlin a lot uh, previously when I'd been at DC. Um, so when I came back to DC, he was one of the first guys to uh, grab me again and say, no, no, I need you over here <clears throat> because the book was late. Um, and there were some other things going on. And actually um, I almost forgot about this, but it was uh one of the other uh, initial times that Keith and I had worked together because Keith was also brought in um, to work on uh, that countdown stuff and get it back on the straight and narrow uh, deadline wise. And I think they were talking also that the story was meandering and stuff and it wasn't doing, they weren't farther along on the story like they were supposed to be. Also they were freaking out about how they were going to get to the ending in time. <clears throat> so that was mostly it was we were brought in uh, both Keith and I almost at the exact same time. Um, to you know, course correct the ship and and do it as best we could. Well, and did you? How did you feel like working on the, the characters that you ended up getting in your chapters that you were illustrating, or was it kind of just getting it out the door? A uh, fair amount of it was getting it out the door. Um, <clears throat> I don't remember actually for a lot of it being that connected to whoever I was drawing. Honestly, I remember that. I think there was Mary Marvel and some other stuff that I was kind of interested in, but then they were different versions of the characters. Um, 
I may have gotten to draw on the Pied Piper, who I obviously knew from uh, Flash Time, but again, it was a whole different storyline and different things going on, so I don't think I had a lot of connection to a lot of that. The only thing out of the whole, my parts of Countdown that I really was connected to um, was that last issue I got to do, number two, mm-hmm. I think it was, um, where I got to do the Orion Darkseid fight. That's right, yes. That was that was a huge thing where I'd heard about that uh, in the months uh, leading up to it, and then I was <laughs> doing the stories like I heard other professionals years before where I was threatening uh, Keith's life or the editor's life saying, I have to do this or I will kill you. <laughs> That's awesome. Now, I guess moving into slightly happier things, what was it like to reunite with Jeff on Final Crisis Rogue's Revenge? That was great. And that was actually, um, <clears throat> that was one of those weird timing, uh, deadline or, uh, um, <clears throat> situations where, um, I talked to Jeff at a San Diego con and said, my last jobs here at Marvel aren't turning out the way that I want them to. They keep changing. Um, and I'm getting frustrated with how it's going and that I'm not finding a home and all that kind of stuff. <clears throat> And um, then Jeff said, come back, come back to DC. There's, you know, we'll figure something out. But really what I want to do, and this was his take, and it had not been approved or organized or anything else, was that he wanted to do a Rogues miniseries, Um, which I thought was a great idea. Um, And it would be fun for us, and it would be, uh, you know, reaching back into familiar territory for us. But at the same time, if it really was a Rogues miniseries, then it would still wind up being different. Um, than just going back to the Flash or doing another Wally book. Um, But then Countdown and other things happened first because they needed me for those things. Uh, But thankfully, Jeff was still able to organize his plan on the Rogues book, which is what turned into Rogues Revenge. And that was, you know, as far as going back to DC, um, I was enjoying the other work in general, uh, the idea of what, what was going on. But Rogue's Revenge was, you know, that was Candyland again for me back at DC where um, I got to work off of Jeff's great scripts and we got to talk it all through. And, um, you know, we were dealing with those same characters, but we were expanding upon stuff um, with those characters and their histories and, and how they worked. And oh, I had to, it was that was really nice because for both Jeff and I, that we were a little bit worried about going back into that same box and whether we'd know that we'd be able to be able to beat ourselves of what we had done before. Um, but both of us at the end of it um, felt really solidly about like, no, no, we did. We actually did. You know, we came back to it and we did better than we'd done before. So we were both really happy. And then I guess uh, a little less than two years later, you guys collaborated again on the Blackest Night Flash uh, miniseries. It was the same type of thing. You guys got to work together again and do a twist on what you'd done before. Um, actually very different. Um, Jeff and I had a great time working on that book. Um, but to me, Blackest Night was much more in league with some other jobs where here are the things we needed to do. It needed to fit inside this box, which was part of this whole other monster of a system. Um, and it was fun and I had a great time doing it, but it wasn't the same thrill that we had on Rogues. Um, and I think part of that was just the fact that, um, Jeff had his Blackest Night map kind of thing. So we had all this stuff planned out and how it was going to work. Whereas when we were working on Rogue's Revenge, which was part of Final Crisis, um, 
Final Crisis was Grant Morrison's thing, so he had his own map, and he allowed Jeff, you know, and me, um, to just do our little Rogue's Revenge thing that was part of his crossover, and we, you know, put a couple pages or something that had connections to it, but it wasn't really beholden to the story at all. The, our story of Rogue's Revenge was very different from anything that was going on in Final Crisis. Um, whereas with Blackest Night, it was still very much part of the giant machine, so I didn't feel like we could play as much. Okay. Um, how did you writing and draw, uh, writing and drawing uh, Solomon Grundy come about? <clears throat> that came about uh, at least fifty uh, percent of it or more came about because of Mister Johns. Um, <clears throat> we had been talking about this stuff for a while, um, ever since I'd even gone to Marvel and stuff that I'd been wanting to write and draw my own work, and. Um, we were at a San Diego con having one of those dinners with a bunch of other uh, DC people. And um, I had bothered him off and on through the years, Jeff Jones. I bothered Jeff about working on Solomon Grundy and how much fun I thought that would be. Again, I'm this big fan of monsters. So uh, Solomon Grundy is probably one of the best monsters out of the DC universe. And, um, but I'd given up on it at that point. Something kept happening and Jeff kept going, eh, now's not the right time. I wouldn't do it now. Or I wouldn't do this now or whatever it was. And then at that dinner, I turned to him again at one point. And I'm just like, man, I just oh, I want to write and draw something again. I'm getting really frustrated with some of these jobs or how this is working. And I don't feel like I feel like I could be doing something more. And Jeff went, what about Solomon Grundy? And I looked at him like he was telling me a bad joke. And I'm like, oh, don't tease me, man. He goes, no, now's the time. Because he knew what was coming. He knew all the editorial stuff that was coming down the pike, the faces of evil stuff. So he said, now's the time to do it. And I said, great. And so he literally then calls to Dan DeDio across the table and says, Dan. Dan looks, and I'm sitting there going, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God. And Jeff goes, yeah, how about that Solomon Grundy miniseries? Dan goes, yeah. Jeff goes, yeah, I think we got a good idea for it. And and Dan goes, great, sold, done. Jeff goes, but wait, Scott's going to write it. Dan goes, okay. (laughs) Now, after that, I did have to go through the machinations. I did have to hand in a proposal sheet that listed out what was going to go on and different stuff like that. So, But within all that, I still had Jeff Johns' help where I said, should I do this? And he goes, mm, I'd do that. And I went, okay, and I'll do this and this and this. And he goes, yeah, that's all great, but wait, don't forget about this piece or whatever it was. So he helped me with the basic outline of what I was going to do or at least the theme setup. And then also he was the one who literally gave me the huge hand up um, for uh, uh, to get in with Dan and say, hey, Dan, I trust him. Let him do this, which was awesome. And thankfully, Dan and the other people at DC did like what I did with Solomon Grundy, the writing and the drawing of it, so that then I got offers after that to do other stuff, um, which was a great thrill. Wow, that's amazing. Uh, it's interesting to see the, the thorough line throughout your work is how much you do love monsters. <laughs> Oh yeah, no, it's there. I mean, it's weird. I, I, I'm very good at superheroes, and I love doing superheroes. But at the same time, I have an absolute great time doing anything monstrous. And that's where Jeff quickly decided or uh, learned while I was, we were on Flash together. I think it was around the Grodd issue. But then he went, "Wait, you draw really good destruction." So then he just started planning out different ways with the stories where he would be knocking down buildings or doing other stuff so there'd be great destruction going on. Because, yeah, I have fun doing that. (laughs) 
that's funny. Especially, I mean, if you look at something like Annihilation, which was all about destruction, like he destroyed oh, yeah. Xanadar. Yeah, yeah, that one was crazy. There were there were pages there where I was just. <clears throat> the old joke was that uh, I'd have to. I would draw a page like one of those garage destruction pages, and then I would hear about my poor inker having to ink that page, and he would have to ink it for a while, but then he'd have to stop and take a break. Because really? it would be killing his hand or something like that or whatever. He'd go do something else or work on a different page or do something else. And then he'd come back and work on it some more. And then eventually he'd get to finish it. Um, but there were pages like that for me <laughs> while I was working on Annihilation where I, I had to take breaks because there was just so much broken stuff. It was crazy. <laughs> or spaceships or all those armadas of stuff. That was always killing me. Do you like inking your own stuff? I do. Um, but... Uh, <clears throat> I, I got to be uh, honest with that part of it. All my work now and since my – or most of it anyway, since uh, about the time that I went to Marvel. Um, previous to the Marvel time, like when I was Flash, when I was drawing covers or doing other short stories, I did ink traditionally with a pen or a brush and ink and the whole bit. Um, but my system nowadays and ever since about the Marvel time is that um, I just pencil. Um, and then I scanned that in. My pencils pretty much didn't change anything during this time because they were always super tight. And whenever I made photocopies to have samples of my pencils for to get other jobs or whatever, um, they'd always look at it, and the editor, whoever was looking at it, would go, oh, wow, you inked these. And I'd say, no, they were just the pencils. Um, so I had line weights and shadows were all filled in and all this stuff, so it was uber, uber tight um, for my anchors, uh, which is a problem as always. But anyway... Um, my system now is nearly the same thing. It's just that I don't spend the time with ink and a well and stuff like that. I just pencil super tight, um, and then I scan the pages in and change the gray line to black and clean things up if I need to or uh, add a little something here or there or whatever if the scan wasn't really perfect. But um, <clears throat> that's my system now. And for the most part, um, I still really do uh, prefer that system versus anything else. I've had some really great inkers, but um, – on a regular basis going through, I've just never been able to hold uh, a, an anchor on any of my jobs too long. Um, so this is a better way for me to work it out. Okay. Uh, any final teases you can give us about Blue Beetle going forward? What can, we look um, for, what can we look forward to in the next few issues that's not too big of a spoiler or going to give anything away? Uh, in issue number one, you're going to either see the Scarab in a fight like you've never seen it before. Um, a really cool scenario that Keith was coming up with. Um, what else are we going to do? Um, I think you know from some of the advertisements and different things out there that um, one of the big pushes, too, is that... <clears throat> hang on. One of the other big pushes for the new Blue Beetle stuff is that uh, the Scarab is also going to be, as now revealed through Rebirth, that it's going to have mystical origins and not so much scientific, uh, uh, technical origins. Um, that doesn't completely change all that it does, uh, but it will change how I do some things, uh, which already came out a little bit in the Rebirth, uh, but will change and grow more and more as we do the monthly book. Um, so I think you'll see some really cool different stuff. Uh, happening from Blue Beetle that isn't just the same hardware kind of uh, things that he's made before. Um, he's still going to make uh, really cool stuff, but uh, it's not always going to be exactly the same way. 
Um, plus, there'll be just some more intuitive kind of ways I think that he's going to work with his uh, magic stuff. Um, the only other big thing to go on is that uh, beyond the great buddy-buddy stuff between Jaime and Ted is that, uh, as hinted at in Rebirth, uh, the story arc, which is pretty much going to go on, I think, for this whole first year, basically, um, it's going to involve Dr. Fate quite a bit. Um, and we're having a really good time with uh, his involvement. Excellent. Well, Scott, thanks again so much for uh, coming on the show today and talking about your career in comics and also talking about all the good stuff we can look forward to in Blue Beetle. We really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks for asking. Absolutely. Thanks so much.